0: Welcome to Crime and Beauty, the true crime podcast that ends with something beautiful. I'm your host, Megan Freeman. On Crime and Beauty, we cover topics that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. All right. Everyone, welcome to the debut episode of Crime and Beauty, the true crime podcast that ends in something beautiful. For the first ever case, I decided to cover one that has always held an interest for me. I honestly can't remember exactly when I became excited by true crime and found abnormal psychology and deviant behaviors and other people fascinating. And in particular, this couple, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka, they're often actually called the Ken and Barbie killers. To me, that's kind of funny because if you actually look up a picture of them, Paul, I can kind of understand, you know, he's got blonde hair, blue eyes, the dimples, but Carla, oh my gosh, the bangs on this woman. And also her eyes, even when she's smiling and before everyone knew what she was up to, her eyes look like Jack Nicholson at the end of The Shining when he's frozen. They're just like completely dead and evil. So I don't know about you guys, but personally, I think calling them the Ken and Barbie killers a little offensive to Ken and Barbie. But anywho, I think the whole idea that they're young, beautiful, quote unquote, um, blonde, sort of gave them that nickname. They are both from Canada, both are still alive. And essentially, they were responsible for killing three schoolgirls. So in fact, um, they're also called the schoolgirl, schoolgirl murders. And this included carla's younger sister tammy and this occurred also between the years of 1990 and 1992 in ontario canada paul was also actually identified as the scarborough rapist and we'll get into that more later but essentially he committed i think they said at least 19 confirmed sexual assaults and rapes on unsuspecting like young women and teenagers between may of 1987 and july 1990 so Real class act, this guy. But we'll start with Miss Carla, the Barbie. Carla was born on May 4th to Dorothy and Carol Homoka, and I believe her father is of uh, Czech descent, and apparently she used to call him the dumb Czech, which is highly offensive. I mean, obviously, who talks to their father that way, but you are of that origin as well so I don't really understand that but she's born on May 4th 1970 the oldest of three girls so her sisters included Tammy Uh, as I mentioned she becomes the killer couple's first murder victim and then also Lori who has actually since changed her name to I think it's Logan now. Carla actually grew up in a small town in Ontario called saint catherine's and her father made a living by selling lamps at flea markets which to me is a little surprising because i i mean unless they're like these marvelous antique lamps i i don't really know how you're making much money by doing that but again not my field of expertise Um, and her mom her mom actually worked as an admin assistant at saint catherine's hospital so apparently the family was really well liked in the community and their house was sort of a gathering spot. I think they had a pool. So obviously, they were normal enough where people were attracted to them. But I'll be honest, like if if a family growing up, if I knew somebody that had a pool, I was like, okay, I'm going over there. That's definitely a huge selling point. So Carla apparently had a really strong personality. She was popular and bright, um, not really an avid student, which not, doesn't necessarily scream sociopath, but this kind of a typical thing. I think a lot of kids growing up are just not really into school. So she was part of a clique known as the Diamond Club, and she was considered the number one, the tough one. And a fellow member named Kathy Ford said that she was definitely not someone you'd want to get into a fight with. Um, and she was absolutely a leader and not a follower. And that's kind of important later when we talk about the dynamic between her and Paul. She also worked at a vet clinic um, part time and had developed an interest in animals. Now, that being said, there's apparently, uh, apparently, she had a friend that had, I think, either a, a family dog or a cat pass away, and it was buried in like the backyard, as family pets often are. And Carla wanted to go out in the backyard and dig it up and use it in some sort of like seance, which if your friends, pet dies that's probably not the reaction you want to have i um, just saying but she was allegedly really fascinated with the occult and death and Ouija boards and things like that so I think that that kind of stands out but again it's one of those I mean obviously the the pet story is really odd but that other stuff I mean as teens you know I remember watching the movie The Ring and just that dumb sort of horror seancey type of stuff being of interest so it's one of those things that I think hindsight is 20-20s. So people might want to find things about her and her childhood where, I guess, make them understand a little bit better why she turned out the way she did. That's a little bit about Carla's upbringing. Now, Paul was born on August twenty seventh, 1964 in Toronto, and his family was way more dysfunctional um, compared to the Homolkas. So His father, Kenneth, was a peeping Tom and was actually charged with child molestation in 1975 of a young girl, in addition to molesting Paul's sister. He was also really abusive to Paul's mother, Marilyn. And apparently, at some point, Marilyn was extremely depressed, understandably so, with her husband being a complete scumbag. And she eventually retreated to live in the family's basement. Not a ton is known about her, although. When Paul was 16, apparently him and his mother regularly had screaming matches. I'm not exactly sure about what, but... At one point, she basically informed Paul that he was the product of an extramarital affair. And I think that occurred at some point when she would found out that her husband was basically molesting her daughter, um, which is kind of understandable. And from then on, he Paul openly started verbally abusing her and just being disdainful and called her names like whore and slob. So not so good. Um, later on, in 1982, he did attend college at the University of Toronto Scarborough. By this time, what he had graduated to is some very um, sexually sadistic predilections. Actually, much like his stepfather, he became a peeping Tom, and he would also humiliate and beat his girlfriends. He considered books like American Psycho uh, by Brett Easton Ellis as his Bible. So. In October of 1987, these two individuals finally met. Uh, Carla was only 17, Paul was 23 years old, and he was an accountant in training. And they met at the luxurious backdrop of a suburban hotel lounge uh, during a pet food show. So again, Carla had worked at a was working at a vet part-time. I'm not really sure why Paul was there, but essentially it was lust at first sight. And shortly after meeting, the two were engaged in um, sexual intercourse. So just went right for it. I think, you know, what attracted, according to her friends and, you know, subsequent interviews, I think what attracted her to him was that he was ambitious. He was good looking. He was really in control. He's this older guy. Um, which you know, I guess you know, if you're 17 years old and you met someone like him, uh, you know, at first glance, I could understand why somebody would say, "Oh wow," she would call him her prince, which I don't like quite so much. Um, but again, it's, apparently she was really into Disney. I think honestly, at a at, to a creepy extent, but her whole thing was wanting to have that man sweep her off her feet. I guess her friend Jenny Black recalled that he was her knight in shining armor he treated her well he took care of her he took her places and he just seemed to be wonderful for her Um, she was in love and absolutely head over heels so unlike previous girlfriends though Carla embraced his darker side pretty much immediately and participated in some of his deviant behavior Um, she would write letters to Paul saying how he could do whatever he wanted to her so again you know I, I I guess I understand no, I don't really understand. That's that's just like really intense. And she's a teenager. So it's just, it's creepy. But by 18, not 18, 1989, which was the year I was born, Paul proposed to Carla near Niagara Falls. And she had written a letter about how romantic it was. And that same year, Paul had already started, and I mentioned this earlier, um, a series of extremely vicious, sadistic attacks on women. And this earned him the moniker, the Scarborough Rapist. So what he would do is he would approach these young women or teenagers from behind. And I believe this occurred mostly in the evenings um, when it was dark out, but he would threaten to kill them if they made a sound. I believe he also was often armed with a knife, but he was so brazen, he kept getting away with it. But he would you know, rape these women on their own, like families' properties, like on their lawns. I mean, just craziness. So these attacks continued for three years and just absolutely terrorized the community, understandably so. And the violence continued to escalate. I believe he would do things like he would attack a woman and then pretend to leave and then pounce on her all over again. And I mean, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like and you know the trauma that would ensue from that so law enforcement of course was desperate and I think it's interesting so I think that when you consider somebody like that, that gets more and more brazen, I think that they probably felt that it was just a matter of time before he escalated to murder. And kind of reminds me in a way of like the Golden State Killer, how, you know, he started as like a a cat burglar and just sort of doing breaking and enterings. Uh, He was called the Visalia Ransacker, and you know, slowly escalated to the um, East Area Rapist, and then basically the original Night Stalker. And at that point, he was committing murders of women and hus- and while their husbands were there i mean it was just it's just crazy so i think law enforcement in canada was probably thinking this this guy is eventually going to murder someone and um that was unfortunately the case so Police finally got a break in the case when Paul actually attacked a victim from the front. Um, This enabled her to give a description to authorities, and this resulted in a composite that's super famous. You can just easily Google Paul Bernardo or the Scarborough Rapist composite, and it bore an uncanny resemblance to him. Um, You know, it's down to the facial features, but it's like the hair, which is like all feathered and blonde, and it's just Paul, Paul was clearly very into his hair. I don't even like know how to describe it but it just was a very unique hairstyle and I think again if you google the side by side it's like a dead ringer so naturally he was questioned by police because I think you know even his friends would joke to him about hey man like that looks exactly like you which you know awkward but still he was one of maybe 700 or so persons of interest so obviously they're interviewing a lot of people and Uh, Detectives recall that when he did come in to interview, he was extremely calm. He wore a suit and tie, very clean cut, had had a fresh haircut, and he willingly provided saliva, hair, and blood samples for DNA testing. So, obviously, when somebody does that, that I think would, of course, throw them off your track, right? I mean, if you're willingly giving all this potential evidence that could nail you and, you know, match you up to what's left behind. You know, on these rape kits um, and whatnot. I, I, you know, if I was a detective, I'd be like, okay, well, that obviously creates less of an alarm bell. Now, at this time, forensic DNA was in its infancy, and I'm, I'm not really sure why. And maybe it was because of, you know, the process being slow or the fact that there was, you know, 700 plus people involved. But the samples sat on the shelf for two years untested. So not not a great thing but again I don't really know about what it's like what that process is like so who's to say I mean it's just it's obviously really unfortunate so by 1990 Paul was spending a ton of time with a Homolka family and apparently they found him just as charming as Carla did but at that point he neglected to tell them that he had lost his job as an accountant and he was actually making his money by smuggling cigarettes across the U.S. Canada border I don't really understand I mean. I don't know if like, he's selling to teenagers. I'm not sure, like, how you how you make a lot of money doing that. I mean, it's that confuses me quite a bit. So if anyone knows, like, why that, you know, is some sort of enterprise that could garner you a lot of income. I, I just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, unless it, I would have thought it'd be, like, drugs or something. But nope, just cigarettes. Also at this point Paul because he was spending time at Carla's house he was becoming more and more obsessed with Carla's younger sister Tammy and people say that she's like Carla's twin which I find a you know that's kind of offensive to Tammy because as I said Carla has these like creepy dead eyes um, and I guess again I don't know if it's like a you know I was born in 1989. I was not brought up during the 80s when like perms and, you know, kind of funky big hair was a thing. But like her, again, I find her bangs just absolutely offensive. But again, it could be hindsight that she just creeps me out. So... I think that Paul viewed Tammy as like a young, obviously a younger Carla, um, and he would flirt with her frequently. She, he'd buy her gifts, like soft drinks that would have, you know, white film on top of it, so clearly was trying to put something in it. Um, and he was doing all this despite being engaged to Carla. So normally you'd think, okay, well, if I saw my fiance flirting with my younger sister, I'd be pissed. I'd be like, hey... What are we, what are we, what's happening here? Um, but instead, Carla actually helped him by granting, breaking the, her sister's windows to grant him easier access. I think she also broke the blinds so that he could peer into her bedroom window and he would essentially masturbate watching her while she slept. It's just mind boggling. It's like, how do you, how do you enable that kind of behavior when it's, especially when your sister's the target, Right. So that's just a prelude to, obviously, the depravity of these two, especially, especially Carla in some ways. But basically, at some point, this was 1990, in July, at some point, he took Tammy across the border to get beer for a party. And uh, apparently, they were gone for like six hours. And later, he told Car- Carla that they had got, gotten drunk and began making out. Um, two days before Christmas that year, after a family party at the Holmokas, everyone went to bed except for the three of them. So it was Paul, Carla, and Tammy. And they gave Tammy a rum and eggnog drink, and they put Halcyon in that, which is a sleeping pill, I believe. And she, Carla had stolen that from the vet where she worked. Um, and at that point, I mean, she was starting to get really woozy. And then what they did is they Carla soaked a cloth with halothane, which is an animal tranquilizer also from the clinic where she worked, and placed it over Tammy's mouth and nose. And she did this because she wanted to give Paul Tammy's virginity for Christmas. Yes, just let that sink in for a second. He was obsessed with virgins and obviously obsessed with Tammy. And because Carla had lost hers to a previous boyfriend, She wanted to do, she wanted to please him, and so that was her Christmas gift, repulsive. So together, she and Paul raped Tammy. Yes, you heard that right. She participated while Tammy was unconscious, and during this time, she started to turn blue and began to choke on her own vomit. So despite efforts to revive her, she unfortunately suffocated. What they had done was before they called the police, they the two of them hid evidence. They redressed Tammy, um, put her back in her bedroom, which apparently was in the basement, uh, which was convenient, of course, for them, and just like cleaned and vacuumed the area. So, I mean, nefarious, obviously. And a few hours later, she was pronounced dead at St. Catherine's General Hospital, which I believe is where her mom worked. There is a picture of Tammy, um, an autopsy photo, where you can see this awful giant chemical burn on her face from the halothane and somehow I don't understand I don't understand this but somehow the coroner ruled that her death was an accident but it's like I I, you know if you look at this picture I mean it's this giant red splotch on her cheek and it's like I don't know I don't know how you rule that as an accident or at least don't kind of look into it further because that just doesn't make any sense. And I want to say that they maybe said something to the effect of it being a rug burn. I don't know. It's just baffling. After Tammy died, her parents were obviously grieving the loss of their daughter. And at this point, Carla moved out to live in a rented house that Paul had after Tammy's death. Carla was actually pressuring her parents to move forward with her wedding. And um, as I said, she was engaged to Paul at that point. And she actually wrote a letter to a friend expressing outrage. Here's what the letter said. Dear Deb, fuck my parents. First, they took away half the wedding money. Then they kicked us out. My father doesn't even want us to have a wedding anymore. Screw that. We're having a good time. If my father wants to sit at home and be miserable, he's welcome to. He's only worked a day since Tammy died. He's wallowing in his own misery and fucking me. Lady, hey, hey, this is your younger sister, and you're mad because your dad is grieving her death, which you caused. I mean, it's just the amount of narcissism and lack of empathy of this person. It's just it's beyond understanding. So on the morning of June 15th, 1991, Paul met 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey in Burlington while looking for license plates to steal. And I imagine that was because of his, his lovely little enterprise of smuggling cigarettes. Now, Leslie was born on July 5th, 1976. Her father was an oceanographer and her mother was a teacher. And by age 14, at this point, she'd begun to rebel a little bit and, you know, run away from home as many angsty teens do. I recall myself, uh, quote unquote, running away from home where I'd have my Avril Lavigne CD on Discman. And of course, with a Discman, you had to like hold it out like a waitress because otherwise the freaking thing would skip. Um, So and I, you know, I'd be like, oh my God, my family. But at this time, her family was kind of practicing tough love and told her that, you know, if she ever missed curfew, she'd be locked out of the house. And unfortunately, after having attended a friend's wake, she missed curfew and was locked out of her house. And this is when Paul approached her. She asked him if he had any cigarettes, which is uh, kind of interesting considering his business. Um, and I wonder that she thought, you know, oh, wow, this decent-looking older man um, and wanted to maybe appear a little bit more mature or cool or whatever. And Paul said, yes, I have cigarettes. And they walked back to his car. And as, as they got closer, he blindfolded her and forced her inside. Um, he returned to the house in St. Catherine's where uh, Carla was. And essentially over the next 36 hours, he raped her. And Carla participated. And they videotaped this there is evidence of him verbally degrading her as well and he would do this thing which I guess is called scripting where he would tell his victims what to say so for example one of the big things that I know Carla used to do this too which I honestly I can't but he he would force Leslie to call him the king and you know say how great he was and how much you know better bigger than his boyfriend and allegedly this was due to his inability to sustain an erection so it's like hey you know Paul better ways to handle that you know but during some of the assaults Carlo was spending time walking the couple's dog Buddy which poor Buddy he had probably no idea who he was living with Um, she would be reading Uh, as I said she participated in the abuse and the rape as well and instead of feeling anything at all for Leslie She was angry because Paul had apparently brought out these wedding champagne flutes and was drinking with Leslie. Um, She said, quote, I was and this was in like a police interview. And you can look there's a documentary by CBC's Fifth Estate where there's a bunch of interview clips of her. She's got this obnoxious little kind of like childish little girl voice and she goes, I was really mad too because um, when I took Buddy out, there were two champagne glasses on the dining room table and we had these really expensive champagne glasses from France, which we never used. He had those out. The two of them had been drinking champagne from those glasses and I was really mad. Like, Are you kidding me with that? That's what you're mad about, lady? I mean, just beyond. So anyway, fearing that Leslie's blindfold had slipped off and that she could easily identify the two, they decided to murder her. And of course, you know, the two of them later on gave opposing statements saying it was the other that was the one that actually committed the murder. But Paul claims that Carla gave her a lethal dose of Halcyon, which was the sleeping pills that they had used on Carla's sister Tammy earlier and then carla claims that paul strangled her and i believe there was forensic evidence maybe not i i'm not i can't remember 100% but i believe it's thought more so that she was in fact strangled so what is known though for sure is that she was dismembered with a saw and her body was encased in cement blocks and they were dumped, these blocks were dumped in Lake Gibson, which was just around like 11 miles from their home. And a canoeist unfortunately discovered them on the shore as some of the cement wasn't solidified and some of the body parts had actually floated to the surface. So obviously at the time that she disappeared, her family was freaking out. There was a search for her. Um, she ultimately though was identified through dental records so that same day when the cement blocks were discovered when Leslie was discovered Paula and Paula Paul and Carla got married in this over-the-top lavish wedding ceremony and this was complete with a horse-drawn carriage she was wearing this in my opinion again I understand this was a different time But it was like this grotesquely fluffy big puffy sleeved wedding dress. um, Giant uh, veil you know just over the top like Disney princess dress. Honestly it reminds me of Ariel's dress from The Little Mermaid which is so sad because I love Ariel and I grew up being obsessed with that film but would not go for that style dress. I mean again maybe I would have at that point. Their wedding is like they're completely obsessed with it and it has to be you know, to the hilt on every, every level. So just to me, obnoxious and obviously so much more dark and nefarious considering, you know, what they had just done. At this point, I know that in an interview, Carla said something like she complained about how she said, quote, he wasn't loving. He acted like he didn't care that we got married. And he told me that he was the Scarborough rapist And it was just not like the kind of wedding night that I had dreamed of having. Again, keep this in mind. Okay, you just got married. Your husband tells you that he's the Scarborough rapist. And she's more mad just because he wasn't being affectionate to you. I mean, any normal person would be like, Oh my God, what have I done? And be out of there, you know, calling the police immediately. But she was just mad because he's probably like not being cuddly or whatever. So I know that there was another scenario where... I think a girl from Carla's work at the vet clinic, who who is now referred to as Jane Doe, obviously to protect her identity, they essentially played out the same thing that they'd done with Tammy. Or Carla took her out for dinner and like they went shopping together and having a quote unquote girls' night, but then brought her home and gave her the sleeping the halcyon the sleeping pills and knocked her out essentially, and had sent. Paul or called Paul or left him a message of sorts basically saying honey I've got a present for you so so there is it is known that there was and there's videotape of this where they basically did the same thing to Tammy and she actually at one point stopped breathing she did survive and they invited her back again I think two more times or rather the third time I believe Carla at that point was just like hey Paul wants to sleep with you and this girl was like no thanks but I think after the first rape, she didn't, I don't know that she realized what had fully happened. I think she, I think she just assumed that she had, had too much to drink essentially. So, I mean, just so sad. And I think she was like 15 years old as well. So these two horrors of people clearly were still, you know, involved in these horrific acts. And I, you know, I, I, my personal thought is, is that there could have been others. I mean... Just because they were videotape happy doesn't mean that there were instances where they didn't videotape it right. So by 1992, Carl and Paul actually drove around. This was on April 16th. They drove around St. Catharines to actively scope out victims, and they did this together. So Kristen Dawn French, who would become their third victim, was born on May 10th, 1976. And she was very well liked. She participated in school sports. She was on the rowing team and was an ice skater. And she actually kind of looks like like a little bit Nancy Kerrigan esque. Um, I think prettier to be honest, but. After the death of Leslie Mahaffey, which had occurred months earlier, she was encouraging her friends to be super vigilant and just aware of their surroundings. So one of those that's just like on top of her stuff, right? They passed her. She was walking home from Holy Cross Secondary School. She was aged 15 and she was walking home briskly to take care of the family's dog. And this was something that she would do, I guess, every day. So parking nearby, Carla got out of the car and approached Kristen with a map and was acting like she was lost and basically needed help with directions. And Kristen probably thinking, you know, it's – This woman, she looks, you know, pretty clean cut, normal, thought, okay, I'll go and help her. So when Kristen was leaning over to look at the map, Paul snuck up from behind her and forced her into the cart knife point. And on the way back, Carla was in the backseat actually holding and pulling Kristen's hair. So of course, when Kristen didn't come home to walk the dog, her parents were freaking out because this is something that she did every day and she really adhered to the schedule. They notified police and then a search ensued and her one of her shoes was actually discovered in the parking lot where she was abducted and i believe at that point some there were witnesses and they did notice i think paul was driving a gold nissan but i think it was misidentified as a different type of car so unfortunately even though they described some some similarities to the car it wasn't the right model and make so i think that kind of threw investigators off now paul much like with previous victims um They videotaped themselves torturing and raping Kristen, forcing her to drink large quantities of alcohol. At some point, she had attempted to escape. Paul was actually out for maybe like half an hour getting food for them. And she was, of course, pleading with Carla to let her go. And Carla said in interviews with investigators later, she said, I never should have gotten to know Kristen because you get emotionally involved with these people, and it really hurts. And she has like no expression on her face. It hurts a lot more because I felt like I was friends with both of them, especially Kristen. Because we did so much stuff together. We put makeup on together. Um, we talked, you know, just just girl girl talk while Paul was gone getting us food. And it just made it hurt even more. And it's like, you did so much stuff together? What do you mean? Putting I mean, it is this woman, I mean, it's just offen- it's offensive. It's absolutely offensive. Because apparently at one point I believe she had raped Kristen with a wine bottle. You know, you're not this girl's friend. She's This isn't girl time. And Carla 100% had the opportunity to let her go. But she didn't. It's unbelievable. And when Paul returned, basically, I, I don't know if there was, I think there was another attack, but according to the videotape, Kristen's last words were, I don't understand how your wife can stand to be around you. And this was after Paul snapped at Carla, calling her an idiot because he wanted her to get like tissue or Kleenex or something like that. And when it was suggested by prosecutors later in Paul's trial that this defiant, courageous statement by Kristen prompted him to murder her, Paul claims he didn't really care and that these girls were just props for three-way sex. And his whole thing, as I'll discuss later, is that he claims that the intention was never for them to get murdered, to be murdered. That it was always Carla doing the murders and that this whole, all the abductions, all of this was about three-way sex, which is like, give me a break. But shortly thereafter, Paul strangled Kristen while Carla watched. Her new body was found in a ditch 45 minutes away in Burlington on April 30th, 1992, and her hair had been cut off in order to what Carla claims is prevent identification, though it is believed it was kept as like a souvenir, which is so gruesome. By this time, Paul and Carla's relationship had definitely deteriorated. Carla later claimed that Paul had started abusing her six or seven months into the relationship, which... A lot of friends that were around them say that was absolute BS and that she was like blissfully happy as we will have known already and you know we'll continue to talk about Carla was a complete liar so on December 27th she was beaten by Paul in the head face and body with a flashlight and there's actually pictures of her um with two enormous like raccoon level black eyes so I mean, clearly that did happen, and at her parents' urging, she left Paul and soon filed for divorce, but clearly had no qualms after, you know, all this craziness had happened at finding a new lover. Um, I don't really know any details about who it was or the situation or where she met that person, but it seems like she was, you know, out on the town already. In December of 1992, Paul's DNA samples were finally tested, um, which he had given for the Scarborough Rapist investigation and on February 9th, 1993, Toronto police were finally informed that he was a match to the Scarborough Rapist and he was immediately put under 24-hour surveillance. That same day, Carla was interviewed and admitted involvement in the murder rapes but claimed she was a battered wife and an unwilling accomplice and Hugh, as I said earlier you can find these clips of her interviews and she sounds like very vulnerable and soft-spoken and like uber feminine and it's just like such BS even so prosecutors later said that they that there was elements about her I mean just her demeanor I mean she just like no emotion and the way she I mean she's just infantile the way she talks about certain things and she's so obsessed with materialistic things I mean it's just that had to have for any normal person struck them as odd Paul was arrested on February 17th but given the lack of evidence linking him to the murders, prosecutors felt that they needed a star witness to ensure his conviction and for them it was a situation of like okay well we need to get this guy off the street forever right we cannot take him to trial and have there not be enough to put him away and as far as I'm aware I believe Canadian justice the justice system is a little less intense than America for better or for worse but I feel like there might be a little bit more leniency in general regardless Carla had asked her lawyer George Walker to seek blanket immunity probably because she knew she was a dirt bag and had participated happily in a lot of these horrific crimes and so Walker met in secret with the head of the crown law office Murray Siegel and essentially what happened from that they would meet at these restaurants in secret but Carla was offered what is now known as the deal with the And so essentially, in exchange for her testimony against her husband, she was given 12 years for manslaughter, 10 each for French and Mahaffey. To be served concurrently and then she got two years for tammy but was never charged in her sister's death and i think the two years for tammy i believe is relating to the sexual assault but just before the trial investigators searched the house and found home video cassette tapes hidden in their bathroom ceiling and they showed carla like i said willingly participating in the rapes and murders of leslie and kristen thoroughly enjoying herself as well as raping her own sister. But by this point, she'd already accepted the deal. So and you know, at this point, she was in prison already. And she wrote a letter to a friend saying, Dear Wendy, I'm letting my bangs grow. After all, I want to look my absolute best when I go to court and see Paul. I want him to drool when he sees me. And it's just like, well, first of all, I'm glad you're growing out this horrific bangs. But this is her focus. It's like this like bizarre little revenge game of I'm gonna show my ex how great I look you're in prison like how is this your focus and also one other really annoying thing about Carla is that when she was in prison she had these pictures of Disney characters pasted all around her walls and all of her letters like to Paul but like to everyone basically not only is the content just infuriating but she has stickers on them like you're an adult woman. Like why are what is with the stickers? And again, I know like this the the scratch and sti- Uh, I cannot talk. The scratch and sniff sti- stickers say that three times fast and the puffy stickers like i know that was a thing but it's who uh, you know it's like you're you're in your 20s are we still really doing that but anyway that's what she wrote that was her priority letting her freaking bangs grow in 1995 paul was tried for the murders of uh kristen french and leslie Mahaffey, and his trial included detailed testimony from carla as well as the videotapes of the rapes which had been discovered by investigators and he paul claimed that the deaths were accidental and then later Later said that carla was the actual killer which i don't know i mean some people claim that carla was really the instigator and that you know previously paul obviously had gotten away with all of these sexual assaults and rapes but never had to escalate to murder i think he was always kind of of the mind they think some people think that he was always of the mindset to just let them go but i don't know if i buy that fully i do think there is something to- compelling to be said about how carla you know th- she was quoted saying like i didn't want this per this girl in my house something had to be done so i definitely believe it was that sort of joint mindset that that these girls ended up getting murdered i don't i don't personally believe the intention was to ever kill tammy because i think that they probably just felt carla claims it was like you know in interviews that she thought it would you know he would be satisfied with that one time and then Stop bugging her about it. Like, oh, how annoying. Like, he just keeps bugging me about wanting to rape my sister. So I'll just let him do it this one time. So, I mean, it's just, it's just nonsense. But at the trial, you know, obviously the families of kristen and leslie were there but so was carla so according to you know news coverage like old school news news coverage that i saw about the uh, paul's trial her carla's family was there and they were often plugging their ears during the playing of the videotapes which i can't really blame them i also don't know where their relationship really stands today i mean like i said her other sister Lori changed her name And I think her father was interviewed after she was released from prison, which, yes, she's out. Said something to the effect of, like, we're not going to be welcoming her. Regardless, Paul was finally convicted. And this included two first-degree murders, of course, for Kristen and Leslie, and then two aggravated sexual assaults. And he was sentenced to life in prison without parole for at least 25 years. Since he's been incarcerated, he has been... He's applied for parole three times and was denied in 2006, 20, 2015, and then 2018. There's, I want to say clips, not clips, because you only get to see like a, a court drawing of him. Like, I don't actually know what he looks like these days, which kind of drives me nuts. Like, I want to know what he looks like. I'm, of course, like I said, he was denied and the families of Leslie and Kristen do actively, you know, campaign against his parole successfully, obviously. To this day, he's basically incarcerated still at um, Millhaven Institution in Ontario. And I think throughout his incarceration, it sounds like he's always been segregated for his own safety because he gets attacked by other inmates, which great, he deserves that. Also in February of 2006, he admitted to sexually assaulting at least 10 other women in attacks that were not previously attributed to him. And I believe most of these occurred in 1986. So that was a year before what police call the reign of terror by the Scarborough rapists, which, as I said earlier, was started in 1987. So and it's also thought that he was responsible for rapes committed in New York. And this could absolutely make sense because, again, he was known to cross the border to sell his dumb cigarettes. So Carla went to prison at Kingston's Prison for Women until she was moved to a medium security prison in Joliet, Quebec. Um, There she was able to obtain a bachelor's degree in psychology and it's like at that point was she in her own textbooks for being like psychopath I mean insane can you imagine being Carla Homolka and being in like psych 101 she also started a relationship with Linda Verano who is a trans man who was in prison for a series of armed robberies and was so in love with Carla that she actually reoffended in order to get back into prison to be with her and she much like with Paul and other people she wrote these really flowery childish love letters to her sorry to him, with stickers and all this dumb stuff. And in 2001, she was moved to a max max security prison where she started another relationship with a convicted murderer named Jean-Paul Gerbet, who was in the men's facility. And apparently a friend was like, hey, why are you still in a relationship, though, with Linda? And Carla said... It's because I want to keep my clothes. And I guess Linda had spent a grand on her at Victoria's Secret. So clearly there's something about this woman that somehow people find attractive. I don't really understand it because, again, she's got a dead, dead look in her eyes. And she assaulted her own sister and all the things. So anyway she was a, she had no shortage of boyfriends and girlfriends and lovers and such at no point did she take any responsibility for her crimes of course and she claimed Paul had forced her she still claims that Paul had forced her through physical and emotional abuse and in 2005 she was released from prison and ever since then has basically been hounded and remember I found this article not an article I found a Facebook page that was like where's Carla Homolka and people are very dedicated to knowing where she's at so that they can basically monitor her and I understand that she ended Ended up changing her name and she married the brother of her lawyer um his name is terry Bordelais, and she had three she has three children this woman has three children and as of 2016 she was living with her children in quebec at one point, I know she, I want to say she went to Guadalupe, probably to just escape and get away from reporters. But I believe she's back. Um, at one point, she was trying to volunteer at her kids' school, and of course, other parents flipped out be- because obviously. But apparently, as of two thousand and twenty, uh, as of this year, January this year, she lives without her husband and children. So I don't really know. My guess is is that her kids were under so much stress by being her children. So. You know, who's to say? But basically, that's the story of those two jerks. And again, it's kind of astonishing that Carla is out there free. Her plea deal was very controversial because obviously she quite literally got away with first-degree murder and sexual assault. But some of the prosecutors claim like, well, we it was more important to get Paul off the streets and make sure he was convicted for life. But again, I just, you know, this whole battered woman situation is so false. I mean, there's so much evidence for it. So just truly, truly awful. But again, I mean, this is a case that I think fascinates people because it seemed you know it's like a fairy tale couple right I mean quite literally they their wedding looked like it was straight out of a Disney movie so to to see that but also know how depraved and evil these two were and that it's kind of rare to see well I don't know I don't know if that's true but I just think Carla's participation is especially shocking in the fact that she would sexually attack her own sister I mean it's just as beyond comprehension i think if i'm being quite honest even though paul was the scarborough rapist and arguably had more crimes to his name i think Carla is the one that really infuriates and intrigues people because probably partially because of the fact that she's free now but it's just really difficult to understand how a woman can do that to children <laughs> So one of the beautiful things that actually came out of this horrible story is the Kristen French Child Advocacy Center Niagara, and this provides a safe place to help heal and end child abuse for Niagara's children and youth who have experienced alleged physical abuse, sexual abuse, and have become targets of internet luring or were the unwilling witness of violence. As I mentioned earlier, both the families of Kristen and Leslie Mahaffey speak at Bernardo's parole hearings. And as recent as 2018, Leslie Mahaffey's mother Debbie said, Leslie brought so much happiness into our lives and we will never abandon her. We miss her every day. We will never abandon her to Paul Bernardo's cruelty. Now in terms of something beautiful, I wanted to recommend this awesome product that I actually learned about through makeup artist Katie Jane Hughes. She's super talented and she always has this like really beautiful, dewy, hydrated looking skin. I'm a big fan of it. It's called Walita Skin Food. I actually have, I have the original ultra rich cream and it's, when I tell you it's rich, I mean it really is. Like this is something that I would probably recommend for overnight like I use it after I put retinol on which is super drying for summer for the morning like I'll use their light nourishing cream they smell really nice and actually these products are there's they were founded in Switzerland in 1921 and one of the co-founders was actually one of the first female doctors which is rad her name is Dr. Ida Wegman and their whole sort of mentality is to create sustainable products and have environmentally friendly practices. I believe their whole thing is to make products that are non-toxic, cruelty-free, paraben-free, GMO-free, synthetic fragrance-free, which is awesome, um, so you can feel good about that. And their whole mantra is that people are part of nature. All right, you guys. Well, that was my very first episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. Much more to come soon, and I'd love to hear your feedback. To follow Crime and Beauty, visit us on Instagram at crimeandbeauty.podcast, on Facebook at crimeandbeautypodcast, or at crimeandbeauty.podbean.com. Please rate and review and shoot me an email at crimeandbeautypodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, thanks for listening and stay beautiful.